0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pages Unknown, the podcast dedicated to all things bookish and nerdy. My name's Michaela, and I'll be joined, as always, by my absolutely wonderful co-host, Zachariah. Say hi, Zachariah.
1: Hi, Zachariah.
0: As a reminder, new episodes of Pages Unknown air every Wednesday. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts, as well as on TikTok and Instagram under the name Pages Unknown. I know that we thank y'all for listening every week, but I want to say it again. There are literally millions of podcasts out there in the world and you chose to spend your very limited free time with us and ours. We really appreciate you.
1: This week for the podcast, we read When We Hold Each Other Up by friend of the pod, Phoebe Wagner. It's a solar punk dystopia that begins after a climate apocalypse, as well as after capitalism has ended at the hands of the harmonizers. These harmonizers are a more than human race, of beings that were freed from the ice caps because of global warming. Did you catch all that? (laughs) They bring about this harmony by literally culling or unaliving people and land to bring balance. It's very Thanos flavored here. A brief synopsis. We meet our main character, Rowan, who is living with their family in the wilderness. Shortly after this, they encounter one of these harmonizers who is looking worse for wear. Rowan insists on helping this harmonizer named Eduardo. Other more vengeful harmonizers come to Rowan's family's camp to inform them that Haven City is expanding its borders and that they need to both leave and that half of the group must go with them, supposedly to be unalived. Eduardo fends them off and Rowan's family flees. This kicks off a whirlwind adventure to warn others of the incoming trouble and a fight for each other, the planet, and ultimately, true balance. Michaela, can you share with us your initial thoughts of the book? Absolutely,
0: I can. Thank you so much for asking, Zachariah. Um, I <laughs> I have to say that this book was a very nice reminder of my favorite part of doing this podcast with you. I honestly, I'm being totally honest here, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have picked up this book on my own ordinarily. I don't really Mm -hmm. know a lot about the solar punk genre, which we are going to talk a lot about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it would be in my sphere. I don't know that it would be something I was even aware of. But because of this podcast and our lovely TikTok, pages unknown, follow us. I read it. Plug, 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 plug. I read this book and I thought it was great, and so it was. It was. It was a nice reminder of all the positive things that come mm-hmm. out of this podcast because this is a lot of work. <laughs> Sometimes you're kind of like, oh man, I got to read eight more books in the span of a week. Uh, so this was a nice <laughs> little reminder. What did What did you think?
1: Well, before we get to my thoughts, I kind of want to briefly touch on this idea that you wouldn't have maybe picked it up because. It has some of the vibes of some of the books I think that you did enjoy, like Hunger Games and Maze Runner. And some some of those kind of vibes are here. So I think it's because it's such a specific genre that you probably wouldn't have picked it up because yeah. it's not like dystopian, like, you know, maybe chosen one scenarios. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I agree with you. I think I might not have picked it up for that kind of similar reason, because this isn't a genre that was in my... I don't know, even brain. <laughs> I really liked the book too. Uh, speaking of my thoughts, I really liked the book also. It's a quick read. Yeah, it I is. read this on a plane. Yeah, it's really, really quick. I read this on a plane on my recent work conference that I went on, and I tried to vlog. I don't know if I told you this, but I tried to vlog while I was on the plane, which is such a maybe an outdated term for people <laughs> listening when I say vlog. Oh, God. I was like kind of crying and that's the only video that I got. And this book isn't like sad. It just made me really reflect on a lot of things that we're constantly talking about. I'm really plugged in to the news cycle and all of the natural disasters that are going on throughout the world. And so this kind of brought all that up, especially the one that happened in Ohio with the train. Anyway, I don't want to get too uh, doom and gloom because that's exactly what this genre Counters, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I want to talk about this genre a little bit because solar punk might be new to many people who are listening to the podcast right now.
0: Definitely. It was new to me.
1: Yeah. It's a breath, kind of a fresh air. So solar punk or how to be an optimistic radical about our environment, the planet and humankind's relationship with it. Solar punks argue that the problem with imagining such a dark future or no future for that matter is that while failure may be cathartic, it thwarts the possibility of thinking about alternatives. If you're wondering why I'm saying punk, theconversation.com, which I I suggest you go check out this article, they have a great explainer on this entire genre. So Phoebe, the person who has written this book, this is their debut novella. They're not new to this genre either. They've edited an entire collection of solar punk stories. So if you read this book and you really, really enjoy it, Google Phoebe Wagner and you'll find the other two or three books that Phoebe has helped put together on this. Two titles that we had in our notes here, Almanac for the Anthropocene, a compendium of solar punk futures, and Sun Vault, stories of solar punk and eco speculation. Before I maybe describe more of the vibes, I kind of want to say that this is a genre that I think Gen X millennials and Gen Z need to be reading right now. Yeah, This counters that doom and gloom, the world is ending, why care about anything kind of mantra. I know that You and I both kind of fall into that sometimes where we're just kind of like, I'm just going to drink my iced coffee. Here's some ASMR for everybody listening. Uh, (laughs) Get us in all of those trending categories. (laughs) Mm, mm, mm. SEO, literally, (laughs) LOL, I'm just kidding. But um, honestly, we get into that kind of thing. It's like, well, fuck it. You know, I might as well just give myself a little treat. The world's ending. Uh, I don't need health Mm. insurance. Uh," Like, Mm. no. You do need health insurance. (laughs) You absolutely need health insurance. There can be also a great future. Yeah, There can be an absolute great future that we can have.
0: I think that something that's very interesting with this sort of thing you're talking about here, right? It's anti-apathy is essentially what it is. It's reminding mm-hmm. us that it's very important to care. While we were reading this book, I was thinking about the Irwins. Follow me on this. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> follow me. Follow me. <laughs> Bindi Irwin is one of my favorite people Mm -hmm. on the planet. She is all about optimism and all about positivity. I don't know why I just emphasized all of the syllables in that word, positivity. (laughs) She cares so deeply and she makes it cool to care, in my opinion. Yeah. Recently, she was talking about her journey with endometriosis. She recently had a surgery Mm -hmm. to help her feel better. Basically, for the last 10 or so years, she was just living in pain. Yeah. The fact that every single day – She was borderline fainting from pain, and she was still putting out such positive energy. Mm -hmm. That is the encapsulation of what this book was to me. When I've read dystopia Uh, books, like Hunger Games Divergent, you know, like the 2010 to 2014 dystopia craze, (laughs) (laughs) A, a peak, peak time. For books and cinema. It's coming back right now. It is. It's, coming back it's making too. its cyclical return. When I was reading those books, it was about finding what little happiness you could in a world that was inherently mm-hmm. bad and negative and yeah. horrible. The government is oppressive. The environment is collapsing. I read a book series called, uh, let's see, the first one's called Enclave, then Outpost. And then something else. It's a a three book series. And it's like an apocalyptic Mm -hmm. type thing where people have moved underground because the sun Mm. is deadly and the oxygen is not breathable and stuff. So they've moved underground. They've become mole people. And these two individuals end up leaving the enclave and going up into the surface. And it's a bright, beautiful blue sky. And the air is breathable and the animals are running around because humans have left. And I remember thinking to myself, even then when I read it, I was probably 14. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, ah, humans are just a blight. We are a plague. (laughs) It's not true. It's not true. No. And this book was a nice reminder of the fact that there's good people and there are people who care. And there are people who want to invoke change. And we're lucky to live at the same time as those people do, like Bindi Irwin and her entire family. (laughs) So I think that (laughs) this book, I understand why it made you emotional, because it can be very emotional to confront the fact that not all people are inherently bad. We're so used to seeing all the negativity and all the horrible
1: politicians doing horrible things. It's really nice sometimes to be reminded that people care. I'm going to tell you right now, this book made me think of something I read on Tumblr a long time ago. And you know, Tumblr, I think, is also making a comeback. It's like all things are cyclical oh, at this us. point. But there's this thing where it's like it quotes, "All people are bad," and then there's a response to it that says, "I am people, I am good, you are wrong." And every time I I get a little teary because it's one of those like core core like things that you see on TikTok and all the Twitter right now. Every time I see it, I'm like, yeah, that's right. We are people. We are good. You are wrong. Mm -hmm. There is hope in the world. And you are not helping anyone. You are not helping anybody by acting as though it's over. It's done. You know, all of this doom and gloom like the sky is falling let the sky fall. We will rebuild. Okay. Mm -hmm. Come on, Adele. Let the sky fall. (laughs) Not the James Bond
0: (laughs) reference. I can't.
1: But it's true, right? It is. So yes, I was getting emotional because this book, it's got a lot of little fun tropes also throughout it. That's kind of my one criticism is that I wish it was a little bit longer. And I say this for a lot of indie books. I feel like I'm saying this often because it's good. I just want more of it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? As you're saying, though, all of these books with similar vibes, they are turned into huge ordeals. Like, I think that Divergent, is that four books or is that three? Three.
0: It's Divergent, Allegiant, Insurgent, or Divergent, Insurgent, Allegiant. I don't remember what order they go in.
1: Yeah. So these traditionally published authors do have a lot more resources that they're able to make these, you know, long kind of drawn out stories, Phoebe, you know. Did a thing and accomplished a a really good thing in a small amount of pages. It was giving me a lot of The Last of Us vibes since it's a duo that are kind Mm -hmm. of going through all of this kind of crazy thing. You've got Rowan and Eduardo going through all this. You also wrote down Darkest Minds. I don't know anything about that book series. So
0: I read that when I was in high school. I do think they made it into a movie or a TV show. That one is- About basically, there are kids who are born with abilities, magic abilities, okay. and they're categorized by color and they're removed from society for the benefit of society and placed in these summer camps. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is Excuse I'm me? gonna tread carefully here. And I, I, to be fair, I haven't read this book in forever, but there are two colors I believe it's red and orange that are the most dangerous. Mm. I think orange can control thoughts and people's minds and sort of take over people's brains. And I think red Mm -hmm. is like fire or something, like a flame ability. And they're not allowed to be kept at all. So they are usually murdered when they are discovered. (gasps) There's a girl who is a red or an orange and she slips by on, oh, she's an orange. She influences the guard's mind to mark her as like a blue. So she's able to get like slip through. And, you know, she ends up breaking free of the camp they're very abusive. And she joins up with some rebels who are trying to take down the government. It's, you know, classic stuff. But I put that on here because (laughs) a big part of that book series, not trying to spoil it, it's been out for years. uh, So I think it's fair enough now. A big part of that book is a big betrayal scene from one of the adult Mm -hmm. characters that's supposed to be taking care of these rebel kids. Mm -hmm. And after that happens, our main character Mm -hmm. falls into this very apathetic mindset. And starts killing people. So when they enter into these fights with people in the government, usually it was like set phasers to stun, you know, but she's ripping their minds Mm -hmm. apart every time they get into these fights, if I'm remembering correctly. And that is the antithesis (laughs) to this, (laughs) where this person (laughs) fell into a pit where she was like, fuck it, I'm just going to start murdering people. I don't care anymore. No one is good. No one is here to help me. No one is here to protect Mm -hmm. me. It's me on my own versus this where we are constantly being reminded about the the bonds that are being forged while they go through this adventure. And we are constantly being reminded that the people they meet along the way are inherently there to help them and to lift them up. It's just exactly the opposite of everything you've ever read with dystopia. And I think it's really nice.
1: I think I had to sit on this one for a little bit after reading, because it's scary in a lot of ways, yep. because this could absolutely be what the future looks like. And it's scary, but it also is opti- it's optimistic. And at some points, it's a little cozy. I, f- <laughs> it, it was really odd of being like, there is coziness and warmth in this knowledge that the only way we're going to move forward is together. And also this willingness of each person throughout this book to work together to get somewhere. There are people who sacrifice parts of themselves throughout this entire book for the greater good. On our notes here, and we always have a notes document as we're doing this. Yeah, it's a little meta to talk about it, but I think it helps to serve and keep a structure of this episode. Cozy dystopia. Is this a genre? Because you mentioned <laughs> it, and I I made a note here that just says, Michaela Gilmore, Patent 2023. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah. It's a curious mix. It is. Yeah. It's a
0: very fun mix. We something we were talking about when I brought that up this cozy dystopia idea was that this and this is probably why it gives you Last of Us vibes too. This is like post dystopia. This is the mm-hmm. events that are taking place after the dystopia apocalyptic event has taken place and that's kind of like Last of Us, you know, when we join Joel and Ellie. It's years after the infection has spread. People have started building Little cities again, these, you know, small outposts mm-hmm. and they've been protecting each other and finding ways to live. And it's kind of like that, except obviously Last of Us is very doom and gloom. <laughs> and and this is not. It is. It's it's a post-dystopia world where we're now coming out the other side realizing, oh, okay, the bad thing happened and we're still here.
1: So let's do something about it. You're right. It is. It's post-dystopia people are rebuilding they're finally doing the thing yeah. that they needed to do all along which was working together who could have seen coming the scary thing that is almost against this like american ideal of rugged self-reliance has been pushed away and i think that that's necessary in a lot of things it's like you can be self-reliant but the fact that you start Pushing others away in an attempt to like whatever, you've screwed up your life, their life, and everybody else's life. We, anyway, humans need other humans.
0: What I think you're talking about there is a main theme of this story, which Mm -hmm. is the negative effect of hubris (laughs) and pride and thinking (laughs) that you can make it through Mm -hmm. on your own when you can't. This story is all about balance and the positives Mm -hmm. and the negatives of finding balance. There isn't a way for humans to cut corners here. They tried it. That's what the harmonizers are are doing. Instead of working on ways to better the environment, we just said, oh, let's just kill half the population. So then we use less resources. (laughs) Not an option. They cut corners. (laughs) The negative side of balance. The positive side of balance is this group, this ragtag group of friends going around helping people where they can. Intending to achieve an overall goal that benefits society, but more importantly than that, helping the people they find along the way. It's a story about people coming together, people uniting against themselves, essentially, the negative parts of humanity. It's a group of people together saying, we're going to fight this bad part of ourselves, and we're going to do it together, and we're going to do it really well. And also, we're all cute. Yeah. And also we're all cute
1: and we skateboard and that's, (laughs) I'm dead. I love it. That's the thing I did not expect. So the story, as, as we kind of mentioned at the beginning, right. Rowan and Eduardo have to now find all of these different communities and warn them that, Hey, some shit is about to go down. These harmonizers who are no longer in harmony themselves, they're taking much more than is needed to achieve balance. They're going to come to your community and take half of y'all and take your land and say, the city, you are now in the jurisdiction of the city. We get to tell you X, Y, Z. Rowan and Eduardo eventually go to the city. And I'm skipping a lot mm-hmm. here. I'm skipping a lot that between at the beginning and when they get to the city, there's so much in between that is necessary and good. So when you read the book, you'll know what I'm talking about when they get to the city. They plan to skateboard and skateboarding in this book is a little bit of a way of the city getting to know the people and feeling life being lived inside of it. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, the city or the different cities are almost sentient in a way that they can tell that there is love happening, that there is life and joy going on. Otherwise, uh, the harmonizers just kind of walk around and take the life force out of people who are, quote unquote, breaking the rules. That just means like taking literally like calories from a person and like draining them of that. It's really odd occasionally how there are fantasy elements that are just kind of put in, but you they don't feel out of place it just kind of, it just kind of sits there and is like, well, of course we reach that part in the world where we have to like, you know, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, but it doesn't feel out of place. It still feels real, but like the magic is super, super low in this, in this story. Like obviously, harmonizers, these other non-human people came from the ice that melted because of global warming that was caused by humans. And I'm a little bit like, Cool. Uh, There are these ancient super things in the ground just waiting to come out in exact revenge. Like cicadas. Honestly, one thing about the story that you're going to have to keep in mind is that, as we're saying, this is post kind of the dystopia like happening. It's already done happened. Capitalism is over. This is post-capitalism. This is post turbo capitalism. This is post petro capitalism. Do I need to make like a song that's like the capitalism stage timeline <laughs> for all of those? For all of those who are just now tuning in to the podcast, hello, welcome to the late stage capitalism that you are really in in 2023. In this book, that's already happened. They are way beyond all of this. All the different stages of what happens in late stage and. Beyond. I feel like I need an actual, like, economist to really describe to people what yeah. I'm talking about, although the economy is fake. You should all know that. Anyway, that's how this. the parameters of the story are the fact that nobody has a want for anything. So in some ways, it's utopian, but only because people understood that they have to do that in order to survive, right? However, <laughs> there are still things that are fucked up, like all of the sewage, all of the dumping of chemicals, all of that is still there and it's slowly being healed. It's a weird setting, but like one that I think maybe if we don't start thinking about the future in a real, real way, we're going to end up getting to. Maybe not with sentient cities, but absolutely with (laughs) some problematic things lying around. The characters, though, I think are kind of something I want to kind of comment on because they're the thing really driving how we feel about all of the what i just described basically
0: Mm. so something that we talked about when we were plotting out this episode eduardo lived through the dystopia parts eduardo Mm. if this were a normal dystopia book he would be the one with the apathy and the lack of care and the hatred almost the anger I do wish, like you said, there was a little bit more. I, I, I wish I got a little bit more from Eduardo. I wanted a little bit more of his growth. I think that similar to the plot ramp issues we talked about, where things sort of were up and down and all around. These characters felt like they weren't growing into anything, but I don't know if that's a purposeful thing to say, well, we're at the end. The growing happened in the dystopia part of this mm. book, and now we're post-dystopia, so we're post-growth. But I don't know them well enough to know if it's a good or bad thing. I wish that we mm. almost had some flashbacks or some tales of woe of when things were actively happening, when the harmonizers like first arrived, for example.
1: I think the reason that we don't get a lot of those flashbacks from Eduardo is Number one, Eduardo is afraid that since all this is being repeated, that they're not going to be able to replicate how it was last time where they were able to, like, you know, survive correctly. And also, I think that Rowan, going along with Eduardo, maybe Eduardo is afraid to instill this, like, fear Mm -hmm. to this young, impressionable, like, very earnest Rowan, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why we don't get a lot of that. But I do agree that I would have liked to have seen some things that Eduardo having a dream about like what it was kind of the first time around with the harmonizers and what that looked like. Mm -hmm. Rowan, however, I will push back a little bit. I actually felt at times like this was a coming of age story in, in some ways, specifically with Rowan. We don't know, but as you're saying, we do not know a lot of Rowan's past either. Rowan was from the city and then eventually found their way to their family in the woods, mm-hmm. but I do think this like light kind of hero's journey <laughs> that has happened here with Rowan. I think that's growth. Yeah, I don't know. I think you're right in a lot of ways, though.
0: I agree with you that any type of hero quest that a person is on will impact their <laughs> their personhood, their growth. You'll get naturally get some of that. I just think that because mm-hmm. I didn't see enough of before, it's hard to see all mm-hmm. the work
1: that goes into the after. Yeah. If that makes sense,
0: and I just wanted—I I mean, it's a good thing. It's—it's it's almost like a, an accolade because I wanted more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Phoebe, if you're listening, and we know that you are a friend uh, of the friend pod, the pod. <laughs> we want more. We say this every time we get an indie book, and I feel bad, but like this is this n- needs to be heard by all the indie authors we reviewed. You need to hear this as a compliment. We really, really liked what you put down. We really, really did. That being said, let's let's let's
0: get some more here because actually we're talking a lot about understanding these characters intents, these characters mm-hmm. sort of personalities. Motivation. Yeah. Mm. By how they react to the plot around them. And like we said, or like I said before, I felt like the plot had a couple of ramping issues. So it's all tied together. It's actually one problem. It's not multiple problems. It's just one problem. Mm.
1: How did you feel about the speed of the book? So this is my big, quote unquote, big quibble with the book. Seven eighths of it were perfectly paced. The last one eighth of the book, it goes zero to 6,000. It is so much packed into the last like one eighth, maybe one quarter of the book even. You skip ahead like 20 years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it happens to end up being. And so much is implied and told. The pace was great. We were moving along. We were doing a thing, you know, until we got to that point of fighting back and doing all this stuff in the city itself then we got real wonky.
0: I agree. I think that that is a symptom of indie books because Mm. people who are publishing their own books can attest to the fact, we talked about this with Michael LeBourne when he Mm -hmm. came on the podcast. Indie books don't have access to the same types of resources as traditionally published books do. And I think that these sort of pacing issues that we talk about pretty often are a symptom of that. Mm. A traditionally published book will go through eight different people, uh, correcting little things and course correcting the author and working out problems and kinks in the book. Indie authors don't always have that time. (laughs) You know, they're not making money while those, those things are happening. And so it makes sense that there would be these little hiccups This is not like a criticism.
1: Yeah, this is not a real criticism, just to be very clear. This this is almost me
0: trying to walk back on our quibble here and be like, no, 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 this is just what happens because it takes a long fucking time to write a book and to get it all down perfect, to get it all down pat. Mm -hmm. And so by the time you've read your favorite books, like we've said before, they've gone through 18 different drafts. (laughs) Yeah. But not everyone has the time to dedicate to that. So sometimes you get the third draft instead of the 18th.
1: And Phoebe's a full time professor. Absolutely. Clearly, so
0: I will say my quibble mm-hmm. is first person narrative.
1: <laughs> mm. I hate first person narrative.
0: <laughs> I don't mind it. I don't like it because I feel like it lends itself to scenes that take me out of the story. Things like I went to the river and I looked at my reflection and my tawny hair and my you know what I mean? Like uh, I, those types of things. I don't I don't like it. It takes me out of the book.
1: Do you feel at the end of this, right? Remember Rowan's goal is to eventually become like a storyteller, basically somebody who's able mm. to like, like a historian of sorts. Right. I kind of looked at this book, especially the last couple of chapters, this was almost a reflection of like w- what happened and then where they're at. Cause remember at the end of this book, and this is not a spoiler at the end of this book, it kind of catches up to present day, at least in this world that is, that is happening. So in this instance, I think maybe the first person narrative obviously was used as like, oh, if you look at this back, this is kind of this person's journal in some way, but it's not structured as a journal, right? Of like what they had to go through, et cetera, et cetera. But that's kind of how I looked at it. But I understand not liking that.
0: (laughs) I don't know that I would say Rowan is wanting to be a storyteller, I would say that Rowan is a story collector, not necessarily a person who Mm. goes to a large crowd of people or a group of people and is the person retelling all of these histories, but more so the person that is collecting other people's histories and keeping them safe so that someone remembers.
1: Mm. Okay. Does uh, Just as a question, in the book, does Rowan literally say storyteller? Could
0: be. I don't always mm-hmm. agree with the things that are in books. I usually take my own interpretation anyways, and that's just my interpretation of this <laughs> character.
1: Well, that's kind of the thing. We don't fully know Rowan. It's almost like the past is obscured because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe that's the, ooh, hmm, hmm. Maybe that's the whole idea is that the past doesn't matter. It's happened. What matters is what we do, with what we currently have in front of us. We enter
0: into the same argument every episode. This is the same argument we always have. It matters. <laughs> I don't know that it does. I don't know that it does. If it doesn't matter, then why do I care as a reader? (laughs) This is the same argument we always have. Did we have this with Atlas Six too? Yes, we had this with Atlas Six. (laughs) This was the whole... If you haven't listened to that episode, that is probably the episode where we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Everywhere else we can find common ground, but that book, Polar Opposites.
1: Man, go listen to that episode because I think I sounded... Number one, I think I sounded the most unhinged I have sounded on a podcast episode. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the my episode it was pretty unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say pacing issue kind of aside and our eternal argument kind of aside, <laughs> I really do feel like Phoebe has really accomplished something with this book. It's made the climate crisis of this this pessimistic attitude and a myriad of other things approachable to people who might not or maybe are deterred from consuming media that talks about that. This is a story that's got found family vibes. I think it's a coming of age story a little bit. It's got some like redemption things going on. And it's fun. Uh, I feel like it's fun. It's kind of light. Yeah. Heavy themes, but like it's kept light in a way that you're not scared to turn a page to like, you know, anyway. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I think Phoebe's really done a great job here.
0: I think this was for me, like we said at the top of the episode, I never would have approached this book ordinarily. I probably wouldn't even know that this genre existed. And I've been a lifelong reader. So it's kind of rare for me to find a new genre. (laughs) Um, So this is very (laughs) exciting to me. I think that this is a great introduction. To the solar punk genre. I think that if it's something yeah. that sounds interesting to you, that this would be a great, great stepping off point because there isn't so much of the heavy science stuff that I think does uh-huh. pose a pervasive problem in this genre. It can be a little unapproachable. Yeah. This does a great job. It's a lovely stepping off point and it's a lovely positive look at the genre. So, you know, you're, you're getting all the good uh-huh. stuff, you know?
1: That's the thing. I. I'm calling it cozy. I would not call this a cozy fantasy. I also would not call this a fantasy. I would not call it that. But there are cozy vibes in here. And if you've listened to the episode about cozy fantasies, you know that when I put that at the beginning of anything, it kind of implies, hey, there's like a good ish ending to the story that I'm describing. And so if you're going to check this out, and it's available now, it's been out for a hot minute when this episode is going to air. If you check this out, you can be assured that you're not going to walk away from it, feeling the same doom and gloom about the environment that you might have when you started reading it. I I said at the beginning of this episode, I think this is a genre, not just a book, but a genre that Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z need to be reading. We're the next group of people that are going to inherit the earth, and we have to be ready, willing, and able to understand positive thinking takes us a long way, especially when we're talking about the survival of the planet and the human race. I'm off my soapbox now, but I did mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for
0: listening to this episode of Pages Unknown. If you did like it, we would love it very much if you would give us a rating, star rating, leave a review, whatever you feel like doing. Uh, We've got a couple of big projects in the pipeline and getting noticed and having more eyeballs on our little podcast really, really helps. And the reviews are what get us there. So we would really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Goodbye.